Well, this morning I am privileged to be able to speak. I'm always thankful for the opportunity that Pastor Pete allows um, me to come up and speak. Last time was in February, and so we're usually with the teenagers. I'm thankful to be able to have this opportunity today. If you have your Bible, today we are not in the book of Ruth. Can I get an amen? Did I hear one? Seriously? Okay, I was, I was just kidding. I'm, Pastor Pete wanted me to test to see if we're actually okay with the Ruth series, but we're not in Ruth today, so some of you passed the test, some of you failed. Um, but let's take our Bibles, and we're going to go to Joshua chapter 3 today. In Joshua chapter 3, we're going to read a very special story about the children of Israel. And we learned all throughout the Old Testament of the journey of the children of Israel, and their final destination was the promised land. They were looking forward to getting to this land, the land of Canaan, and they went through several obstacles, several things where they saw God's power all throughout. But what we're going to see today is a story in Jonah, or, uh, Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture, and so let's just go ahead and walk through the narrative today. In Joshua chapter 3, we see that the, we come to the time where the children of Israel are ready to go into the promised land, but there is an obstacle in front of them. It is the Jordan River, and that's where we pick up our story. Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they, re- and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. Verse 3, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, Then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. We're going to come back to that later. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Verse 6, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Imagine how comforted Joshua was to hear that. Verse 8, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither. And hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that, he is, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. All right, we're done with that. Verse number 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you into Jordan. Now, therefore, take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests shall, that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it shall come to pass, when the people removed, excuse me, and it came to pass, When the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, 
For the Jordan overfloweth all its banks at the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap, very far from the city Adam that is beside Zeratan, and, th- and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. So this is the narrative that we study today. A lot of scripture, but hold on, we are not done. Let's keep reading, okay? We got to get the whole picture, a lot of scripture today, but let's keep going. Chapter 4, and it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan. Does that sound like a Polk County term? Does anybody think that when you're reading? You're clean past it. Um, It's not, but I like to imagine that, personalize it. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of people, out of every tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan. Once again, something good to note. Out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place wherein you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men, of whom he prepared the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Verse 9, we're almost done. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan. So this is a separate um, memorial that we see. I believe that when we study this passage, that we're seeing here that there's going to be two separate memorials set up of twelve stones. So now Joshua, verse 9, set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there until this day. For the priest which bear the Ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people. According to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, verse 11, when all the people were clean passed over, there it is again, that the Ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and that half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel. These were the concealed carry group. As Moses spake unto them, about 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jordan. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him, as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And here's where we finish in verse 15 in the next few verses. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priest that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, 
and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land. I love the detail that God gives in this story. As soon as their souls were lifted up onto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Today, I want to, as we've read this lengthy story, hopefully we understand the narrative now of what has happened from Joshua 3 to chapter 4. I believe there's four takeaways that we can see from this 12 stones a visit to the memorial. What does this memorial signify to the Israelites and how can we learn from it today? So our first point is this. Our first takeaway from the visit is to prepare to experience great things from God. Prepare to experience great things from God. Let's go back to verse number five of chapter three. This is Joshua's instruction before all of these amazing things happened and this miracle at the Jordan River. He says, verse five, Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart. Or we could say, prepare yourself. And then he's going to say for what's about to happen. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Now, can you imagine the people in this, in this, in the children of Israel hearing this from Joshua and wondering, okay, what's going to happen? We've already seen some pretty amazing things. We've been in Egypt and seen the, t- the plagues and seen how God has worked his wonders amongst the, the Egyptian people and seeing amazing things happen. They'd also experienced the Red Sea parting. They'd experienced the pillar of fire. They experienced the pillar of, cl- of cloud and God's presence with them while they're in the wilderness. They'd also seen manna come from heaven, a miracle that no one had ever seen before. So I can imagine that the Israelites are probably getting ready for this. They're pretty excited. They've been down this road before. They know the God that they serve can do amazing things. They know that the God they serve is a miracle-working God. And so I imagine the anticipation that's building up. But they said, Joshua said, you needed to prepare yourselves to see great things from God. You may have heard this phrase before. It's not original with me. But in order for God to work through you, he, fir- he must first work in you. In order to God work through us, God must first work in us. And as Christians, I hope we're learning and understanding this concept that in, we, many times we want to see God part the Red Seas in our life. We want to see God take away our, our pain. We want to see God do miraculous things in our family. But sometimes we want to see God part the Red Sea, but we're not, really, we're not willing to part our Bible throughout the week. We're willing to see God do amazing things in our life, but we're not willing sometimes to take the steps to apply ourselves and say, God, I submit myself to you. I want to learn from you. I want to grow in you. Many people, Christians, will complain about their current situation in life or vent rather than to cry out to the one who can actually move their mountains. And this brings us to a little little off-topic thing, but let me ask you this. As I was studying this and preparing in this point, preparing to experience great things from God. Do you think that venting, as we know it today, how many of you, be honest, you've vented before? Let's be, let's be real, okay? We're all, we're all human in here. We've had, we've had times where we've vented maybe to a loved one. Maybe we've vented on Facebook. Oh, boy. Maybe we've vented on social media at some point, but we're like, man, I just got to get this off our chest. I got to get this out, okay? Got to get it to where it's just done and whew, it feels so much better. But I ask myself this question. Is venting in the Bible? Do we see that anywhere? And I think we do. 
but it's not the way that we normally do it today. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, God's the one that can do something about our problems. God's the one that can handle our problems. No problem's too big enough for God. And so I was reminded to, to think about that as I vent this week, casting all your care upon him. Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and have burdens, and I will give you rest. Christian, let's be reminded this morning that our God is not the God of defeat. He is victorious. He is good. He is, he is loyal. He is loving. He is trust, trustworthy. God can do and will do miraculous things in our life, but I believe that he wants us to take that step to prepare and to have that intimate relationship with him where we can go to him and say, God, I need your help through this situation. God, I need your help in this circumstance in my life. So let's stop viewing God as a genie in the bottle, hoping he shows up if I just plea or ask right. Let's view God as for who he is and expect to see great things from him. But many times we have to prepare ourselves in order to see those great things. Here's the second thing. Not only should we prepare and ex to experience great things from God, but the next one we see is to stop and celebrate the victories. Stop and celebrate the victories. Now let's think about the picture here. The Israelites' mission for many, many years and their promise that they had been given was to inhabit the promised land. They had been waiting, this, waiting for this for 40 years in the wilderness, wondering, waiting for the time where they can go inhabit the land that God had promised them. And there was still much to be done. We read about all the ites that they had to accomplish or to the ites that they had to conquer in the land. They were going to have to set up shop. They were going to have to, to cut wood. They were going to have to build their tents. There was a lot of preparations for them to finally get moved into their new home. And so now this was one of the first steps of crossing into the land. Now, if any of you are like me, you task-oriented people, are there any task-oriented people? You like crossing things off your list. Any of you out there, okay? Sometimes those are type A people. You just like getting things done. It feels good. Um, there's a new app that we are starting to use here on our staff called Todoist. Have any of you ever heard of Todoist? Okay, it will change your life if you, if you are an organized person, which I'm not all the time. But it's one of those things where as you accomplish tasks and you click on them, it like boosts your points, Okay, it's kind of cool. So like as you accomplish a task, it's like, oh, here's five points. Congratulations. And it just kind of makes you feel good, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. You should see Pastor Pete's points. He like says, eat food, and he selects it, and so he gets more points, right? And so it, we give him a hard time because his level is like way above ours. I mean, it's, it's true. But, but anyways, some of us are task-oriented people, and if the Israelites were like this at all, they're thinking, okay, step one, cross the Jordan River. Okay, what's next? Let's go conquer these people. Let's see what city we have to go to. But what we realize, and I think is important for us to see, is God wanted to teach them a valuable lesson, is to stop to celebrate the victories in your life. There's a lot of negativity in this world. There's a lot of times where we face insurmountable odds. There's a lot of times where our spirits are down, and we feel, we feel like we're struggling through life. But you know what? When we have those times of victory throughout our spiritual walk throughout the week, or there's something that happens in our family life, stop to celebrate the victories. Stop to celebrate the goodness of God. Now, let me ask you this. 
When we talk about the word celebrate, that means different for some people. So let's, just, let's kind of just let our hair down for a second, those of you that have it still. And let's think about this. How do you like to celebrate? Okay, what do you do when you celebrate? How many of you are like, I like to clap when I'm happy or I'll celebrate with the clap? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand because it's going to be embarrassing. Um, maybe some of you, um, I do think this, the word eight in celebrate is there for a reason, right? So celebration should refer to eating. Um, Baptists, we understand this. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen yes. All right, so eating sometimes cause for celebration. Um, we'll do that. Maybe some of you have some, like, Baptist dance moves when you get excited, okay? You don't have to tell us about those, okay? But maybe some of you have some, have some things that when you celebrate, there's certain things that you will do. So the question is this. As a church, what do we celebrate? What are the victories that we celebrate as a church? Well, obviously, we celebrate new life in Christ. We celebrate, we celebrate believers who realize that they come, they've come out of their sin and they accepted Jesus Christ to be their Savior. That is a thing to celebrate, correct? We also celebrate those who follow Christ in believer's baptism. On June 9th, we're looking forward to celebrate. And you know, I've been to baptisms before, maybe some churches that were really reserved, and that's okay. But when somebody gets baptized, everybody's just kind of sitting there and nodding their head. Listen, at Parkway, we clap, okay? We celebrate, we hoop and holler, because somebody who's choosing to follow Jesus Christ with their life, that's an exciting thing. So we celebrate baptisms. What else do we celebrate? We celebrate victories in our life. Um, we celebrate answered prayers. We celebrate the gospel being spread all over the world. So as a church, let's never just keep moving on in our church, the life of our church. Let's stop to celebrate when these things happen, when God does these things. But as a believer, individually, celebration could happen when God gives you victory over a temptation in your life. This week, Maybe you come across a temptation and you're reminded of a verse of scripture that comes to your mind and you say no to that temptation. Take a moment to celebrate and thank God for the victory. The victory does not come through us. Trust me, if we try to do our victory on our own, where do we fall most of the time? Flat on our face. So our victory comes from God. Take time to thank and praise God in celebration. God, thank you for giving me peace in the midst of a stressful situation. God, thank you for helping me bite my tongue when I wanted to lash out at this person. God, thank you for financially providing for me. And these are opportunities when, when something good happens in our life, we either can praise ourselves or we can praise God. So let's realize that all good gifts come from God. First, First Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything, what? Give thanks. Let's try that one more time. In everything, give thanks. And God says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Zechariah 4, verse 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So this week, if you have a victory in your life, take time to stop and celebrate. The Israelites, they could have kept on going, but God said, let's take some time, let's set up a memorial, and let's focus on this moment of crossing over into Jordan. So not only should we stop to celebrate the victories, but point number three is this. Declare the works of God to the next generation. This is another takeaway from the memorial. Declare the works of God to the next generation. Joshua chapter 4, verse number 6. Joshua is given some very specific commands of God to give to the children of Israel. Let's check it out one more time. Joshua 4, 
and verse 6. God says, this is what I'm doing, and not only this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it. Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean, excuse me, what mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. He also mentions it again. Let's look over in chapter number 4. And we see in chapter number 4, verse number 21 through 24, the same thing is said. Um, let's look at, pick up number, uh, verse number 22. It says, Then shall you let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you, until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up from before us until we were gone over. And this is new information in verse 24. That all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So we see this important part that the children of Israel were commanded by God, not suggested, that the reason that we're setting up this memorial, the reason that we're setting up these altars, these pillars, these stones, in the middle of the river, and then also in the camp at Gilgal, is to let people know, hey, our God did something amazing. Our God is mighty. Our God provided for us in a time where we, we could not get over in the way that we needed to go. Our God did a miracle in our lives. And notice who he commands to instruct the children. He says fathers. He references fathers as the spiritual leaders of the home. You know, we understand that in our own homes, that there are some homes where our fathers are not present. There are homes when um, there's, there's hurt and there's pain and there's situations. And maybe you think about, man, my father wasn't the person that I wanted him to be. Or maybe my, my current father, my situation is not ideal. And so this, is, this, this situation may not be for me. But maybe to the families that are here today, you realize this, that God has instructed all throughout Scripture for parents to be the spiritual guide of their home, for parents to lead their home in the things of God. In just a few weeks, on June 5th, um, we're having a, this is a little commercial, we're having a special time we're calling a parent connection. It's on a Wednesday night, and we're going to have all of our parents um, from ages, uh, parents that have children, we're focusing this group, parents that have children from uh, newborns to 18 years old, children in the home, uh, to come in the, in the auditorium for a time of fellowship, but we're bringing in a guest speaker. And I'm excited about our speaker on June 5th, that Wednesday night. His name is Jeff Shills, and he has a, he's a leader of a ministry in Polk County that's called I Am Ministries, and it's a ministry to fatherless youth. And his mission is to use the outdoors, um, hunting, fishing. They have a retreat center in Polk City to be able to reach fatherless youth with the gospel. And so he's coming to, to give a talk about active parenting, being involved in the lives of your kids. And I think it's going to be an awesome experience for our parents to learn from, to be able to talk through. We're going to have some discussions at the end of the night. But the truth is, um, we live in a day and age where the family unit is crumbling. The family unit is struggling. And because of that, our churches are being affected by that. The next generation is being affected by that. But we see here in Scripture that God is, is so clear that we are to declare the works of God to the next generation. It is our job, adults, it is our job, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, 
to minister to the younger generation, to show them of the works that God has done. I want to read you a, a part of the, an article that I um, read this week. It's called, um, When Church is Optional, You Set Your Kids Up to Fail. It says this, Children are a heritage and a blessing from the Lord, Psalm 127. And as gifts from the Lord, they are to be handled and cared for as precious beings made in his image. It is the parents that are commanded in Scripture to discipline their children and teach them what they are to know about God. It is the parent's responsibility to introduce their child to the Scriptures. Oddly, in all the passages we read about raising children, nowhere are these responsibilities shifted primarily to the church. If I must give an account for my family, then I must take these responsibilities seriously. I love being the youth pastor here at Parkway. Um, it's a journey that Abby and I have, have thoroughly enjoyed, but the truth is we only get about two and a half hours a week to be around your kids. Pastor Michael is the same way. Parents, you have also sometimes limited, limited opportunities with work and with all the different schedules that we juggle, but let me encourage you as, as we're encouraged in Joshua and also in Deuteronomy 6 to be the spiritual leaders in your home. That is the best gift that you can give your kids. Um, I'm obviously a young father, and I don't know anything. I'm learning this thing as we go. But what we know in Scripture is that God's Word is true. And he said that this is the responsibility that I've given to parents. It's not just parents, though, that have an impact. Both of my sets of grandparents are some of my greatest uh, spiritual heroes. Uh, they didn't come from much as they were growing up. Uh, both of my sets of grandparents were in ministry uh, we're in small churches all over the country, all over uh, the world. Actually, my, parents were my grandparents were missionaries in South America at one time. But they didn't have much growing up, but they were faithful to God. And they were faithful to pass that on to future generations. My grandpa Smith, in particular, has written several booklets um, filled with God's stories of God's goodness to, his, to our family over the years. One of them is called, uh, It's Been a Good Life. And I'm like, Grandpa, that's kind of morbid because um, you're still living. But he said, it's been a good life. And this is their testimony of how God has led them throughout the years. Another one he's written is called Miracles from God. And in this little booklet are all the different stories of how God provided for the family throughout the years of people uh, receiving a check in the mail and receiving um, help from different families in their church when they needed it. Another book that he's written is called Steadfast in the Storm. And this is about seeing God through trials in your life. And they had a death of, of one of their sons, my dad's brother. And they, they just testify of God's goodness throughout the trials. And you know what? As I'm thinking back and preparing for this message today, these booklets are the memorials that the grandchildren and the children and those passed on can go back to visit to see this is what God has done. And this is how good God is. So maybe you're not a writer. Maybe that's not your thing. But grandparents, let me challenge you to continue to invest in your grandkids. Invest in your kids. Show them the works of God. Parents, as we do the same thing, let's declare unto the works of God, declare the works of God to the next generation. This was the, the decree that God gave them. Lastly, we see this. Take steps of faith and trust God with the details. This is the last lesson we learned from our memorial today, is take steps of faith and trust God with the details. Now, this is a fun one to think through. I love the narrative of Scripture. The Bible's not boring. The Bible is awesome, all right? It's so fun to think through emotions and think through what people um, went through in these different stories. So just bear with me as we try to make this story come to life. So check out Joshua chapter 3, 
and verse 15. We're going back to our passage. Joshua 3, verse 15. We're going to think about this from the priest's perspective. It says, And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priest that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overfloweth all his banks, all his banks, all the time of harvest. Verse 16, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam. Let's stop right there. So think about these priests. These priests are walking towards the water. They've already been told of what God is going to do. They're expecting great things from God, as we told earlier. But can you think about the human side of these priests? So they're carrying the most prized possession in all of Israel's history, the Ark of the Covenant. And they're told to walk into the middle of an overflowing river. Some of you will not get close to a pool if you have your cell phone in your pocket. You'll stay five feet away from a lake if there's any chance of you falling in. These people had the Ark of the Covenant, and they're walking forward to a river that is raging. They're having to trust God. God, you've told us to do this. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we're going to take a step of faith. Granted, uh, they had seen the Red Sea part before, okay, so they had a little bit of an advantage. Um, but it still took incredible faith in the promises of God to move ahead. It was uncomfortable. It required change in their surroundings, going from what is stable to what is unstable. But God's promises were on the other side. And so this first step is take steps of faith. Christians, as God calls us to the unknown, as, a, as God calls us to do something that we're not completely comfortable with, that we don't have all the answers right out of the gate, the Bible says, and we're, we're, we're assured here through this story, that God's promises always come through. God is trustworthy. God keeps his word. And so if he's promised to, to lead the way and to be there every step of the way on our path, we can trust him. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. If, you, if I was a priest in that case, I'm walking towards this water. My own understanding says humans don't walk on water. And water makes humans drown. I have the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to stay away from this water. But they took a step of faith into the unknown. And let's also think about this. So the water is, is a part. The first step of faith was very difficult. But let's check out Joshua chapter 4, verse 18. And this is where we close today. Let's think about that last step. Joshua chapter 4 and verse number 18. It says, As it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place. So, once again, put yourselves in the priest's shoes. So, this water is standing up at a heap, Right? Um, we're going to learn about where that was in a second. But the, the river has stopped flowing. Um, didn't say the river evaporated. It just stopped flowing. So can you imagine, they know that the river's about to come back. And so as soon as they step out of the water, what normally happens when a water is dammed up, right? It rushes out. It, it consumes everything in its path. I wonder if these priests were really wondering, when I step out of this water, am I going to get swept away? What's going to happen? We don't know all the details of what they were thinking. We can just surmise. But I imagine that there was probably some, if I was in that situation, there would be some doubt about, these are, these are pretty smart guys. Okay, water's been stopped. As soon as I step out, is God going to still protect me? 
But what we see this is that God was in control of the details. They didn't have to know all the details of their situation when they stepped out in faith. But God had the details covered. Because what we see, if we go back and read in chapter 3, is that the water was actually dammed up at the city of Adam, which was a place about 15 miles upstream from the place that they crossed. And so we understand that water flowing takes time. And that was 15 miles for the children of Israel to recover, to get away from the waters of Jordan so that the waters could rush back to their normal spot. So you know what it tells me? God has the details under control. God's not, God, God is not worried about, okay, um, are these people going to trust me or is this going to happen exactly how I planned it? No, God's plans always work out the way he planned it. And so God had a plan for the details of the situation. The waters were dammed upstream, and so the people could be assured that when they walked across, they were not going to get swept up when the waters came back. So let me ask you this in closing. As we think through this passage, what is the step of faith that God is asking you to take right now? What is the step of faith that you may not know all the details, may not have everything worked out and planned out in your mind, but that God's saying, hey, I need you to step forward. Maybe some of you can even testify today, many of us, where I took a step of faith. I didn't know the details, but God provided. God showed me the way, and everything worked out to God's, to, for my good and to God's glory. If God did this over 2,000 years ago, many more years ago, our God is faithful. Our God is continuing to do that for us today. And so as we take a visit back to the memorial today, the memorial of the 12 stones, let's be reminded of these truths. Prepare this week to experience great things from God. Is this going to be a normal, just a normal week where we go through, we live our life, we exist, and it's just kind of okay? Or do we expect God to do something great this week? What if God saved the neighbor that you've been praying for this week? What if God saved the family member that you've been laboring in prayer over for many, many years? What if a relationship was restored this week? What if God provided financially in a way that you've been praying for for a long time? Let's expect great things from a great God this week. Secondly, let's stop to celebrate the victories. If we have a moment where we can look back and we can see, God, thank you for what you've done, let's take the time to celebrate this week in praise and thanksgiving to God. Are we declaring the works of God to the next generation? This could be our last day. Jesus Christ could come back. What are we doing now to invest in the next generation and invest in those that are underneath us that need to know the works of the Lord? And then lastly, as we've already said, taking steps of faith and trusting God with the details. As we celebrate this Memorial Day, we look back onto the sacrifice that many have made. There are some people who will go to Washington, D.C. and who will visit an actual memorial of, of someone who gave their life. And that memorial will bring thoughts to their mind. So as we've visited the 12 stone memorial today, I pray that God will help us think about these thoughts this week and apply them to our lives.